I want to dive in. We're, we're going through a series that we're calling First Love. Last week, if you, if you missed it, we're, we looked at Jesus' letter to the Ephesian church and where he's calling them, this good church, this faithful church, this church that loved sound doctrine and loved serving him and doing things for Jesus' namesake. But he said, I have this one thing against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember from where you had fallen and repent and return to your first love. And how it is possible for us to go on serving the Lord Jesus, attending church, going about our lives, doing things for his namesake, all the while our heart left him, that we've wandered away. And he's calling us as a church to repent and to return to him. This is big with all of our hearts. And so I want to ask you as we start out this morning, because this morning we're going to be talking about intimacy with God. When I say intimacy, before all the dudes in the church get weirded out by the idea of intimacy with Jesus, we're not talking about Jesus as your boyfriend or songs that sound all gushy. We're talking about being worshipers. We're talking about being close, being known, being loved and loving back and having this relationship that is not distant or far off. It's intimate and present. So I want to start off by asking you, because you may not have thought about this in a while, what is the purpose of your life? It's a big question for you. Because if you live your life without a knowledge of your purpose, you don't know what the goal is, then anything can feel like you're hitting the target. But why did God create us? And the Westminster Shorter Catechism helps summarize the teachings of the Bible in this, saying the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And those are not two different aims. Those are one aim being accomplished by the second, that we glorify God and magnify God with our lives as we seek Him, know Him, enjoy Him, as we obey Him and worship Him in spirit and in truth. So you were created, this superabundant love of God, holiness of God, goodness of God was so generous and overflowing that it had to be shared. And so He created you to share with you Himself. God is a, a Trinitarian God. He has relationship within himself. There's never been a time when God was not three persons with his one nature. And so he had this relationship in himself that was super abundant with love. And he said, let's create a people and invite them into this that we have. And so he made you for himself in his image alone of all of his creation, able to live in relationship with God and to have fellowship with God. This is why he made you. And this is what Adam and Eve lost in the garden where we looked at last week how all of mankind and his people are prone to exchange the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns that could never satisfy. And so Adam and Eve's love turned inward and they made the change. They exchanged God and traded love of God and relationship with God for love of self and chose to be God rather than to be ruled by him. And the result was being banished from the presence of God. So as we're talking about intimacy, we're talking about presence. So we're looking at the fall through the lens of what happened to the presence of God. You were made to live 
in God's presence. You were made to be satisfied and find your joy in the presence of God, living in communion with him as a worshiper. That is why he made you. And when mankind fell into sin, we were banished from the presence of God. And instead, instead of experiencing his blessing, we experienced the curse of fallenness, of our sin. And death entered into the world through sin and spread to all men. And the whole Bible is a story of God redeeming a people for himself, undoing what the fall had done and bringing people back into his presence, forgiving us of our sin and making us again able to enjoy fellowship with God. And at the end of the Bible, we see where we are headed. Our hope that we are to fix our hearts on is where we will dwell again with God as his people, where he will be our God and we will be his people, and there's just fullness of joy in his presence. And so, fast forward. And last week, we kind of introed this series saying, okay, but in today's world, and you're, and so we're, I want to get to the ground level of your life today. There's going to be a lot of practical things for how to cultivate worship and intimacy with God. Because the issue is, we know what we are made for now, or you're reminded of it. But the issue is, everyone and everything is vying for your time and attention. And we talked about how life seems to fly at you, and we're caught reacting to life and responding to life, and most of the time feeling guilty that you didn't do the things that you wanted to do or that you weren't who you wanted to be. And we said that at the bottom of these things is not mainly an attention issue, though it is that. It is an attention issue. But at the bottom of that, underneath even your attention issue is an affection issue, that this is a worship matter. So, for example, our addiction to our phones, to speed, to entertainment, what they are actually doing is they're serving as a thermometer for our hearts. They betray a lack of intimacy with God a lack of joy in God, and really at the very bottom, very little or no fear of God. It's like we talked about before when we were talking about living our lives in awe of God and what it means to live in the fear of God, living before God like he is who he is. That's what the fear of God is. God is holy, and so I pursue holiness in the fear of God. God is love, and so I receive his love from him and believe it, and then I take and give his love to other people. God is worthy of our worship, so I live a life of worship before him. He, he is good, and he's merciful, and so I'm merciful even as our Heavenly Father is merciful. We live our life before God like he is who he is. But we talked about this, how we settle for what is trivial and temporal, like a man standing in front of the Grand Canyon and has his back to majesty and is looking on his phone. Literally, we have turned our back to the source of our joy and have sought to fill the gap that is left there by, f by finding joy in trivial pursuits. And so we have to fill them with enough, enough of those trivial pursuits to drown out the distance that we feel in our relationship with God. This is why we can't stand silence. There always has to be noise. There always has to be a busying of ourselves with more and more things because we haven't 
slow down enough to live. We don't want to slow down enough to live with the quiet of our guilty conscience or feel the distance of our relationship between us and God. And so, the average American looks at their phones for three and a half hours a day. Over 705 hours on social media a year on average. So just, do, I'll do the math for you so you don't spend the next five minutes trying to do it. That's almost two hours a day. And then this is staggering to me. Over 2,700 hours of TV a year. Seven hours a day. And so into that, now I know that may not be you, so don't just, don't, let's not acquit ourselves by being like, well, I'm like at two hours a day. There is an affection issue. We, we say things like, well, I can't read or I don't have time or all these other things, but these things betray a lack of joy in God and contentment in God. He is not enough, so I have to go chase all these trivial things and entertain myself to kind of stoke up my happiness and my survival, and they end up becoming coping mechanisms, and now we're addicted. Lena Ravenhill, before there was smartphones and computers and all manner, well, some people had computers, just not us. He said, because there isn't enough joy in the house of God, we need entertainment. Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. Now hear this. I'm not knocking on entertainment or your phone or computers or the TV. There are a lot of common graces. God gives gifts to us, and some of those gifts have come through these modern technologies. So the point is not, hey, these things are wrong. Forget entertainment completely. What is the issue is when entertainment and all of these distractions and things that have vied for your attention and your affection crowd out God and take his place. It's when we trade what's eternal for what's temporal or majesty for trinkets. And my concern is we grow content with the idea of worshiping God from a distance. Always something else creeps in and distracts us away from the purity of devotion and time with him alone where we are cultivating intimacy with God. The greatest needs, I've been thinking about this for this this series specifically, the greatest need for any relationship to thrive, you can take a marriage covenant for example, you need intimacy and you need resolve. You need both of these things. You need the closeness and the proximity of knowing and being known being completely known and still loved. That is the essence of the highest of joy in marriage is being fully known and loved anyways. And you need this resolve. I think I quoted this last week. One writer said, without, uh, inside the context of marriage, without the emotions, without this love, then marriage is a drudgery. But without the will, it's a mockery. You need both. So David is going to get into this need for resolve in our relationship with God. But don't miss this. All of the distraction, all of the things that busy us in our lives are, destro- are aiming to destroy both of these things in your relationship with God. Because if you have no self-control or if stuff's always, if you're just a slave to the immediate and just reacting to things, what do you think that's doing to your resolve? Why do you think you always pencil in everything? 
like we might be there. We plan to be there. Or coming to the Sunday gathering is a Saturday night decision. Why do you think that is? When, when everything around us is destroying our commitment, our resolve, where we are obeying God even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't want to. But today I want to look at intimacy and delight because you are both invited to and commanded to delight yourself in the Lord. Where you put yourself in position to, he knows you completely, but you open yourself up to him in surrender and you're, you live your life before him. There's nothing that you're hiding from him. It's what the cross of Christ enables us to do, where you are living your life before God with a clean conscience and you are open to him and inviting him in, not hiding from him. And you are pressing on to know him and pressing into his presence with all of your life, not this compartmentalized version of Christianity that we develop where God stays over here and his presence stays over here and we go on into the busyness of our days and leave him. So I want to pray. I want to ask him to do a work in our hearts that we would not, we, we need, and what this series hopefully is designed to be is this wake-up call. And this is not disconnected from last week's sermon. So last week we saw there are things that we need to put away. We need to repent and remember some things. But we need to do the things we did at first. And that's what this morning is about. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we want to bring our hearts before you. I thank you that your word is able to pierce between all of the the tiniest division of who we are, able to discern between soul and spirit even. And you're able to divide us. You're able to search us out that no creature is hidden from your sight. We, We will give an account before you. So we want to be open before your word this morning. We don't want any part of our lives hidden from you. We don't want to be content to live away from you when you have invited us in. So I pray that you would give us the kind of resolve and the kind of uh, cultivation of intimacy with you that we're going to see this morning. Lord, change our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're, we're doing three things uh, in order. We're, we're going to look, I want to have a desire-stoking reminder. Peter talks, he's writing to people to stir up their sincere hearts by way of reminder. And I think sometimes we can, I can forget that we need help and exhortation and warning and admonishment and encouragement in our pursuit of God that some of you have sincere hearts, but you're distracted And so I want to stoke up our affections for Jesus and remind us of what we've been invited into. And then I want to look at a case study in the scriptures of this very thing we've been discussing. Look at Jesus' example for us and then leave changed. So first, this desire-stoking reminder is of God's invitation to you and our access to him. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, you who were formerly far off and banished from the presence of God 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is true. Regardless of how you walked in today or where you've been living, you have functionally been placed with Christ in the heavenly places and have been brought near into the presence of God by the blood of Christ. And this is why he died for you. This, is, this was his purpose. Christ died so that he might, what? Bring us to God. We have been reconciled through the blood of his son so that we could be brought into the presence of God. Hebrews says that Jesus opened a new and living way through his own flesh. By his death and atonement for you, when he's on the cross, he cries out, paid in full, and the curtain that separated you from the presence of God was torn from top to bottom, saying, the way is open. Jesus is saying, I am the door of the sheep. You can come to the Father by me. I am the way. I've made access. Now come through me into the presence of God. And once we enter in by him, we keep coming into the presence of the Father. And this is how I want to exhort you as we start out this morning. We are people who are called not just to enter into the threshold of the house of God and to kind of live in the lobby way. He wants us to come all the way to the place at the table that he has made for you. We keep coming. In Hebrews 7 verse 25 It says that Jesus, as our living high priest, is able to save, and he gives a description of Christians. Who is it? He's able to save who? Answer, those who draw near to God through him. This is the description of your life. Those who draw near to God through Jesus. And it is an active drawing near. It doesn't say those who drew near to God through him. We are actively drawing near nearer to God. This is a calling on our life. It's the reason why we talked about this weeks ago. He brought us out of our slavery so that he could bring us into his rest and bring us into his presence. And he wants you to live there. It's the way my dad always says it is God has designed and desires for your life to be a walking worship service. The father is still seeking worshipers. It's why he rescued you and brought you back into his fellowship so it says he ever lives he's always making intercession for us and we're always to be drawing near james 4 8 says draw near to god and he will draw near to you now this does not mean that you are initiating drawing near it doesn't mean that you seek out god and god says okay i'm glad you finally sought me out god has initiated seeking you out, drawing you near. He sent his son to rescue you and to bring you back to him. He has known you, and this is amazing. I want you to hear this. He has known you fully, and he still wanted you. This is at the heart of what we're talking about with intimacy. He sees you, and he loves you, and moved heaven and earth to forgive you of your sin and to bring you into his presence. He initiated, and your entire life is meant to be a worthy response to his love, to his grace, to his mercy, to his holiness. I want to respond to this 
holy God with reverence and awe and fear and worship and adoration and have my life be worthy of my calling, a worthy response. So we get to live and worship him in his presence and grow in the knowledge of him. This is the highest privilege of our lives. This is what he's invited us into. I know you and I love you and I want you to press on to know me and to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the greatest commandment, love me. What's God's greatest commandment for your life? The greatest desire of his for your life, love him with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And we saw last week that he commands us to put away and to put off what he has forbidden so that we can draw near to him in truth. We don't get delivered from slavery in Egypt only to still love Egypt more than we love God, only to still be longing for the world and the ways of the world or to continually be going back in adultery against God. That's why the next portion of this verse where he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does that mean to be double-minded? Double-minded. I looked up what one commentator said about it in a word study. So this is a man with divided loyalties. On the one hand, he wishes to maintain a religious confession and desires the presence of God in his life. On the other hand, he loves the ways of the world. Is that you this morning? You love both. God, I want you. I just also am so busy and am so distracted and I just love fill in the blank. And his command to us is you cannot live there. He's not okay with it. He is not okay with you loving him with half of your heart, with part of your mind, with part of your strength. He says, love me. And if you're double-minded, if you have a divided heart, repent, purify your hearts, and clean your hands. He will not bless you with his manifest presence and joy if you claim him, but you delight more in other things. That's what we're longing for. That is what you are desiring most in your life, whether you realize it or not, is you are longing for the manifest presence of God. You are longing for the blessing of God as you behold him in the face of Christ Jesus and to experience the joy of his presence. And we can live by our own fault, by our own idolatry, away from the presence of God, and then still seek the presence of God and be frustrated when he feels distant. And so he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. But you can't draw near to me like you are. Purify your heart and, pure, and get rid of your double-mindedness. We cannot seek him with our leftovers. Can I give priority to everything else in our life and give him what is left over and, and expect his blessing. Expect growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Or like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, expect not to walk away at some point. If you neglect the means that he has given us to enjoy him. And you instead of 
pressing on to know him in drive, slip into neutral and are content to live there, then you must not be shocked when you go into reverse and you walk away. We must not be, as C.S. Lewis said, and you know this quote, but listen to it. Must not be half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I would just add to that, and because of that, endlessly distracted. So what do you want as this epitaph over your life? Too easily pleased, endlessly distracted. Or what we're going to see in this next part of our study. Church, this is my greatest fear for us. Because we didn't just pick this out of a vacuum, right? We're, we're picking these topics pastorally because of where we are as a church. And this is what God is saying to us as a church. If you're part of this church, this is what God is saying to you, individually, personally. <clears throat> we must not have been given access into the presence of God, into the holy of holies, and then to be content to live outside. It is the mockery of mockeries. If we were made to know God, it's why you're alive, is to know and enjoy him and to magnify him with your life. And then with our lives, we're saying, yes, I've been given access into his presence, but no, it's not worth more than this. Then we are going against the very grain of what he designed you for, what he made you for, the very purpose of your life. And because all the world was designed for the same thing and they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, God is pouring out his wrath upon the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who have traded him out for lesser things. So it is not just a non-issue. This is not something that is like, well, I'm working on it. This is the very reason why God would send people into an eternity in hell is because he's giving them what they want. They wanted other things besides God. They wanted to be away from the presence of God. They suppressed the truth of God in their unrighteousness. And so he says, okay, I'm giving you over to the things that you love more than me. And so we cannot, now that we have been given access and we've been forgiven and he's purified us and made us to be a people for his own possession, be content with having the same heart that made us deserving of his wrath in the first place. He brought us out to bring us in. And this is not, I think sometimes when we're calling Christians to delight in the Lord, it sounds like an infomercial. Like, please love the Lord, $29.99, just do it. And it is ridiculous that we seem to need to be coaxed into delighting in what is good. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, God says, return to me, and I'll return to you. You return to me, and I'm here. I'll return to you. Now, that was in the context. They, their response to that question, and it may be the very response that you have. What do you mean return? 
how have I left? Right? That was their question to this is, what, in what way do we even need to return to you? They came to gatherings every Sunday. They were going through the motions of spirituality. And God said, you have robbed me in your tithes and offerings. Right? He had a very specific way of, you say that you love me, but everything in your life is for yourself. You use your money for yourself, and you don't give to me first. You don't, and so what would the specific way that he's calling you to return look like for you? Because he could be saying that to you. He could be saying, return to me. And you say, how do I need to return? I don't have preeminence in your life. Colossians says, for the believer, Christ is our life. Not just the main part of our life. Not just first place in our life who sometimes slips into third. He is your life. And he deserves all of it. No part of your life that you're shielding from him. No part of your life where he does not have the first place. From your money to your time, your affections, where we are giving him priority because he has the preeminence. And in any, of your, any area of your life where he is not first and the, the substance of your life himself, itself, he's saying, return to me and I will return to you. Listen to this invitation. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is, this is how God invites you to buy things from him. It's free. I want you to come purchase this, but I bought it. Come, delight yourself in what is good. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Here's, here's what he says is the response. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Is that an invitation or what? He's saying, if you are thirsty, if you are hungry, if you are dissatisfied, if you are discontent, if you're wondering if there's something more, if you're frustrated with your life, instead of living in this far out place or trying to fill these voids that you feel in your life with these other things, why are you doing that? Why are you looking for satisfaction and joy and filling your time with endless things that cannot satisfy you? You know what you need to do? Come to me. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves. It's an invitation to delight in him. Jesus echoes this, and he points to himself in John 7, 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And so this is the question. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? And if you're thirsty, is it because you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or is it because you've forsaken the fountain of living waters and everything you've been drinking has been like salt water and it's just made you more thirsty? Are you coming to his spirit and drinking? If, this is what I was faced with this week, if in his presence there is fullness of joy and I am not experiencing fullness of joy, then am I living my life in his presence? And so I want you to go to Luke chapter 10. And we'll see a case study of this very thing. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. 
And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So quickly, I want to look at this with you. We've talked often about living like Mary in a Martha world. Martha is described as concerned and disquieted with many things. This is what anxious and troubled, this troubled is this heart that is, it's just toil and it's worried and it's anxious and it's not at rest. Now the things that she was anxious about were good things. I want you to imagine Jesus coming over to your house for Thanksgiving and just imagine what you would be like. But here's the issue, and you see this, is not just like Martha being distracted with many things. And I think usually when people are preaching through this, they say, man, I have compassion for Martha because we have so much Martha in our hearts. So we like try to make Martha seem a little bit more righteous in this scenario than she actually was. <clears throat> but it says that she was distracted with much serving. And this is what I've been thinking about for our church is this idea of a distracted discipleship. It's not an abandoning of Jesus. It's just a pursuing of Jesus and a serving of Jesus that is consumed with other things alongside Jesus. But look at this, because Mary and Martha, Jesus counted as friends. He spent time with them. This was not like a one-off instance of being at their house. They were friends with Jesus. And I thought, man, here's an instance of somebody who, because of Jesus' mercy and his grace in bringing her near, got too familiar with Jesus. And so she had like this overly casual approach to him. Look at what she says. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So in this scenario, who is acting like the master? This is astonishing because she says, Lord, but then she proceeds to tell him what to do. Anybody? Does this happen in your life? Lord, let's have a conversation. Do you not see this? Tell her then to help me. Now, I think what happened with Martha, and this is what happens to us, is we get so familiar. Maybe you've walked with the Lord for a long time. And so some of these devotional rhythms or habits or uh, serving the Lord, doing things for his name's sake, they become so familiar and rote and just habitual and your heart's out of it. But what happened here? It's clearly she had lost awe of the Lord. She's not walking in the fear of God in this moment, right? She's, she's forgetting that he is the master. Tell her to help me, Lord. Hebrews 12 says that acceptable worship from us is filled with reverence and awe. That's what it, it says. We need to offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. When you approach God in the secret of your life, are you approaching a consuming fire? Or have you gotten so familiar with your time with the Lord that you're in a position where you're coming to God, you're checking off a box, and then you're telling him some things that you would like for him to do? 
the result, she's anxious and troubled with so many things. And we see that her well-intentioned serving was no substitute for worship. And God says, Jesus says to her, Mary has chosen the one thing that was necessary. And this confronts us because I want you to ask yourself if you really believe this, that in your life, think about everything you have going on and all the busyness of your life, all the different responsibilities and obligations that you have right now. I want you to ask yourself if you believe this. There's one thing that's necessary. One thing in your life that's absolutely a non-negotiable necessity. And it's what Mary chose, sitting at the feet of Jesus. So Mary chose worship. Quickly, I want you to see she listened to the Lord's teachings. This is where you see her heart enthralled with Jesus. Every word that came from his lips, she said, I am listening. And it was an act of love and worship. She was at his feet, receiving from him, getting to know him, learning, listening. It's just what a Pauline Philippians 3 approach looked like in person, where it says, look, I count everything about my life that I had as dung compared to the joy of knowing Jesus. All I want in my life is to know him. That's all I care about is I just want to press on to know him. This is what cultivating intimacy looks like. It begins with listening. Just think about it real practically. If you and I wanted to get to know each other, I just met Kobe today, right? I don't know Kobe, but if I wanted to get to know Kobe, what, how would that, what would that look like? It would look like spending time with each other and listening. I, I asked a six-year-old that question this week, and he got it right. We know this. We know that if we're going to cultivate relationship and get to know somebody and, and to begin a relationship that's close and intimate and works, then it requires time and it requires listening. I don't just get together with somebody and just only talk about myself. I listen. But the dynamic is even, it's magnified to the infinite degree when we're talking about God. He is in heaven and we are on earth, so let our words be few. We come into the presence of God and we're coming to listen, not to command, not to tell him, Lord, tell her, fill in the blank. We are coming as learners to listen. This is how our life began with Jesus. He spoke and we came into existence and we came to life. He brought us forth by the word of truth. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good good shepherd. Sorry, I know my own and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. One of my sons asked me, how do I know that I, I, I'm hearing the voice of God? And I said, well, we, we learn the voice of God by his word. It will never disagree with his word, but we also have wise outside counsel who also knows God and walks with him because it will never disagree with people who are also hearing from God. But at the end of the day, if we were in a room full of dads and I was calling you, do you think that you could find me? And I said, yeah. And I said, why? I know what your voice sounds like. And I said, why do you know what my voice sounds like? He said, because we've spent so much time together. I've heard it so much. Uh, So intimacy with God begins with listening. Love to God begins with coming to his word and listening. This is what 
God says when he's giving the law to his people in Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Next verse. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So this is what God commands us. Love me with all that you have and with all that you are. And the very first expression of that, get this word into your heart. Cling to it. Make it your life. I want you to see, she did not just listen. She sat at the Lord's feet. This is not Mary multitasking. You could just imagine us, right? Lord, I was listening. I was just in the kitchen making some food, and I was listening to you. I know she was at your feet, and I was over here, but I just had to answer a text real quick. I just, I had, I forgot about that to-do list that I had to go create. I forgot I needed to check what the weather was like today, or I forgot I did fill in the blank. And so we're we're in the Word, and then we're stopping to do something else, and we're in the Word, or we, we get distracted at night, and so we stay up too late, and then we sleep in, and we, and we just completely blow past our devotional time, or we, we're, we're listening to the Bible in the car because, you know, it's just hard to stop and do it, so I'm just, I listen to it as I go, you know? It just helps me kind of redeem the time. This is not worship with an undivided heart. It is not stopping and sitting at the feet of Jesus where it is you and him and you're listening, enthralled with who he is, present. How many of you in your relationship hear about being present with people? I read this week from somebody that our, our notifications, all these alerts are destroying our relationships because you're sitting there trying to be present and have a conversation with people and they ask you a question and then you start to answer and then while you're answering them, they're looking at their phones, responding to something. We're not present with people. What well, if it can destroy, if that comment from somebody was that it's destroying our earthly relationships, then how much more is it doing that to our relationship with God? We're not stopping and sitting we're multitasking. We're trying to be Martha and Mary at the same time, and it won't work. So this is a call to linger in the presence of God, meditating, delighting, and enjoying. This is where I'm, I want to get real practical with you. Because your time with God can be the equivalent of going through a drive through and eating in your car on the way to need to be somewhere in a hurry. Or... It can be like an anniversary date. Phone in the car, fully there. And if you were just going to ask yourself, now you may not even have, you may be in a spot where you're not even having time with God, or you may be in a spot where sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. But if, if you were trying to seek God without really stopping and being alone with him, without really giving him time, and then we say we don't have time, but we watch TV for seven hours a day or on our phone for three and a half hours. We're deceiving ourselves. We think we don't have time for God, but what we really have is an idolatry issue. So what this is a call to is giving him undivided attention as an act of love. If attention is one of the main commodities in today's environment, that I cannot think of a better gift to give to your maker as a gift than say, I have very little of this and I want to lavish it on you. If I only have X amount of attention during the day, I want to give the first fruits of my attention to you. Undivided, 
And when we stop and we listen to the Lord, what we're doing is we're cultivating worship. We are cultivating desire. This is the place, alone, in secret with God, is the place where desire is cultivated. You can say, well, I, I don't want to. I don't know how to do that. Like when I want all these other things, I don't know how to have the discipline to sit alone and, and do this thing because I don't feel like it. Well, wait for next week. I'm not preaching David's message. Um, you're welcome. Like, <laughs> that's the worst when you're planning on preaching something next week and a guy takes it right in front of you. Um, guys, the Puritans used to say, you need to pray until you pray. This is a call to look until you see. To listen until you hear, right? This is, I, I was thinking about the idea of a marinade and like a chicken in a marinade. Get this 30-minute marinade junk out of here, right? It doesn't work, right? I want something that you can taste it, right? If we're putting like freezer meals and we had a marinade and you just toss it into the freezer before it had time to sit in the fridge, when it comes back out, it's like this doesn't taste like anything. But it needs to seep. It needs to get in and flavor stuff. And the same is true of your life. The, the call of God on your life is to let the Christ, word of Christ dwell richly in you. We want people to be able to taste and see that the Lord is good because of how they taste and see him in us. And if we're not marinating in the word of God, it's not going to flavor your life. And it's going to continue. If you give God your drive-by time or your multitask time, it's going to continue to feel like it doesn't work. It's going to continue to feel like it's not satisfying or it's not as enjoyable as all these other things that we fill our time with. But look at this Psalm 63 that Elijah read. And I just want to, I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about because there is a way of reading without worshiping. You can read this and say, Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Huh, that's weird. Um, so I'm, I've looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. I wonder if that's talking about church. Uh, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And so I'll, yes, God, yes, I'll, I'll bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I'll lift up my hands. All right, let's pray. And you're just powering through the word of God. But you're not seeing what's really there. Or you can come to it and you can say, God, you are my God. Yes, Lord, you are my God. And I choose to worship you today. I thank you for, for bringing me into your fellowship and adopting me as a child. And that I get to have you as my God. Earnestly, I seek you. God, I know there's parts of my heart that aren't earnest. And I'm praying that you would stoke this up and that you would help me to seek you with all of my heart so that this would be true of me. My soul thirsts for you. And God, I get so confused because I think it's thirsty for all these other things. But what I really want is you. God, satisfy this desire that you've given me. Help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness and then satisfy it with yourself. God, help me to see that this land is a dry and weary land. There is no water out there. It's here. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, and where I've truly seen it is in the face of Christ Jesus. You have shown me your goodness and your power and your worth and your love is better than life itself. And if it's better than life, then it's certainly better than all these fill-in-the-blank things that I'm struggling with and wrestling with. And help me to remember that your love is better 
And so, God, whatever I'm going through, I'm going to choose to praise you. I'm going to choose to worship because your love is better than life and you've lavished it on undeserving me. I will bless you as long as I live and I will bless you today. There is a difference between meditating and praying through the word of God and allowing it to get in you. Allow it to have his words shape your words. And so his word shapes our words and shapes our worship and it shapes our desires and thereby our lives. This is true of your life. You act on what you want all the time. But your desires are shaped by what you bring in through your mind. That's why we have all these commands in the scriptures to set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's what David did. That's why his desires were shaped where he would do this enough and taste and see the Lord's goodness enough so that eventually he could write, your word is more desirable than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That means there's nothing that could distract me away from it because it's better than all the things that I think that I need. I trust you. So, I'm trying to think through how to say this. In a relationship, uh, we need to have resolve that regardless of what you feel. But if you never feel, that's a problem. Just imagine in your, in your marriage or in a relationship with a friend, like, hey, I'm here because I need to, but I just want you to know, like, I, I, I feel nothing. That's going to go poorly, Right? Now, a lot of people, they, they get there, but that doesn't mean that you stay there. There is a way of stirring up and stoking the embers into a full flame where you actually love him with all your hearts and you feel it. Now, manufacturing feelings, this is very uncomfortable. There's a lot of New Englanders looking at me being like, whoa, that dude just said Feelings. Manufacturing feelings, manufacturing the feeling of being in the presence of God is evil. It's counterfeit and it's wrong. But if you never feel, there's a problem. It's a thermometer on your heart. And so how, wh- what do I do if I'm in that place? I grow disciplined for the sake of delight. I discipline my mind and I spend time alone with God, and I cultivate worship, and I allow him to transform my heart, my desires, my want-tos. He changes those things, and it's this invitation when he says to us in Isaiah, listen diligently to me, eat what is good, delight yourself in rich food. And so, It's this invitation, come, fix your mind here and let this word shape your words and it will shape your want-tos. And you will begin to delight in what is truly good. And you can put off what is evil, not even just because we're commanded to, but because you want to, because you have found what is truly good and truly satisfying. So when the enemy comes to you and says, hey, how about this? You say, I'm all set. I'm so full. 
on what's good, that I'm not easily tempted by what's evil. And so I'm not, I'm not dealing with this too much, but I do want you to see as a tee up for David next week that Mary made the choice to give Jesus her undivided worship. She had other things to do and she had pressure from other people to do them. You guys see that? She had other things that she could be doing, other things that were vying for her time and attention, and she had pressure from other people to do it, and she chose to give Jesus her unhurried presence and her adoration. So this is the chief command. Love him and be careful to do it. You can write down Joshua 22, verse 5. He says, be very careful to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Be careful to do it. So last, and I'm, I'm closing with this, Elijah and Jordan. But, and I wish, I want to spend way more time here. We will someday. But you look at Jesus' example in choosing to be alone with God. And it's alone in secret where this intimacy is cultivated. It's part of this non-multitasking, non-distracted being with God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you pray... When you spend time alone with God and you commune with God, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I was, I was staring at this verse this is part of what I'm, I'm pleading with you for, to look until you see, to look at it again, read it again, read it again, read it again. He says, your father who is in secret, that's where he is. That's where he wants to meet you, with you alone. Not you and everybody, like we come from abiding with God in secret during the week to come gather and worship with the saints. We, he's commanded us to do it. But this is not the primary place where you experience intimacy with God, we come together to worship and we encourage one another and, and we value each other, we love each other, so we want to come together. This is not just about you coming and getting fed. I long for our church to be the place where people are coming saying, who could I encourage today? Who could I stir up to a greater love and affection for God today? Who's hurting that I could give some word as a healing balm to their soul? That's why we gather together, to worship God and to be that for each other. But during the week, God's desire for you is to meet with him alone, to come away to the secret place. And your father, he's in secret. You talk about drawing near to God and he will draw near to you. He is waiting for you every day. He's waiting in the secret place for you to come and get alone with him. Come where nobody else can see you. You're not putting on righteousness for anybody else. You're not better at praying around a ton of people and then terrible in, in private because you're not interested unless other people can be with you. He says your father who's in secret will reward you. And I want you to miss that. This is such a gracious God. He's saying, I will reward every moment that you come to me in secret. I will, I will meet you there. I will bless you with more of myself. So you see this all the time in Jesus' life. In Mark 1, verse 35, you can say, well, uh, well, by example, Jesus says, rising very early in the morning, 
while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This desolate place is something you see over and over again. It's like this wilderness, Eremos. It means he went to a place where there was nobody else, where there was no distraction, there was no interruption, and there he communed with his father. He rose very early in the morning to do it. You say, I'm not a morning person. Matthew 14, verse 22, 23. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain to pray by himself to pray. End of a long day. Feeding of the 5,000. Exhausted from ministry. He dismissed the crowds himself. And then he got alone with God. He went up on a mountain to get by himself, away from distractions and in secret so that he could commune with his father. And he left us his example to follow. For you to have time every day as the first fruits of your attention, the first fruits of your life, to say, I'm going to get alone with God. I'm going to choose to listen diligently and to delight myself in what is good. My taste buds want what is not good. We know what that's like just physically. My taste buds love what is not good. But I am going to rewire them by delighting myself in what is good. And I'm going to pray the word of God back to him. And he is going to transform your want to as you are disciplined to get alone with him in secret so that you can cultivate intimacy with him. The closeness that he made you for. The worship that he made you for. So you guys can come back up. I'm going to leave you with this quote from Tozer, and I pray that it is not true of us. A.W. Tozer said, We have as much of God as we actually want. Acute desire must be present, or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so very long in vain. And so, I leave you with that in Jeremiah where he says, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He has made the first move. This is not God auditioning for your love. He has redeemed you for himself. He commands you to delight in him and to delight yourself in what is good. He commands you into the fullness of joy. This is a God of love saying, come and delight in me. Obey me. Follow me. You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. But he, he waits to be wanted. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are so blown away that we get to call on you as Father. That you're not just some cosmic distant force. You are a personal, relational God who loves your people. And you would have been perfectly just in leaving us in our sin and delivering us over to the consequences of what we deserve. But you moved heaven and earth in sending your son so that you could forgive us of our sins and bring us back into your presence so that we could live in your presence. Lord, I pray for all these people. Lord, if, 
if they have never placed their trust in Jesus and are still dead in their sins, deserving of the righteous anger of God, I pray that today they would see that you have made a way for them to be forgiven and to have eternal life through the crucifixion of Christ, through your resurrection of the dead. You have made a way for us to be alive with you forever. Lord Jesus, you said this is eternal life, knowing you, Father, and the Son whom you have sent. So I pray that there would just be a a realization and a conviction all over this church that we do not have to wait for eternal life then when you've given us access now. We can press on to know you right now. You have paved the way. And I pray that we would not be half-hearted creatures given access into the holy of holies in the fullness of joy and then be content to live outside. Lord, give us grace. Change our hearts. Help us to delight in what is good and give us grace to be disciplined, to fix our minds on your word and to sit at your feet to stop and listen. And would you transform our desires so that we delight in you and all of our life flows out of your joy being our strength, out of relationship with you where we live our lives with you in your presence. Help us, God, to abide in you. In Jesus' name, amen.